Good morning, Paramount Baptist Church. It is a joy and a blessing to be with you. I bring greetings from my colleagues at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and Texas Baptist College in Fort Worth. Uh, We give thanks for churches like yours who give generously and faithfully to the cooperative program, which allows us to uh, faithfully educate uh, those who are training for ministry. So thank you for your partnership in that. Thank you that, especially this season of the year, as you give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, you're helping uh, provide resources for those we uh, educate and train who will go and be sent out to the nations to serve the Lord through our international mission board. So uh, you are a part of what we do, and so I want to join my colleagues in saying thank you uh, for the part you play in helping us. If you're interested in learning more about Uh, Southwestern Seminary, if the Lord's calling you to ministry and you want to be trained for that, or uh, if you want to learn more about Texas Baptist College, I certainly would be happy to answer any questions for you. I've left some information here at the church, which uh, the pastoral staff can provide for you, but happy to uh, meet you afterward and answer any questions you may have either about the seminary or the college. Uh, But this morning, it's my privilege to stand before you and preach God's word. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. On this, the last Sunday of Advent and the Sunday before Christmas Day, I want us to think together this morning about the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us to do so from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through seven. And I'm going to ask if you're able, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's word? Hear the word of the Lord from Galatians chapter four, beginning in verse four. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as most of you know, there are uh, two seasons of the year when movie theaters are really busy. Uh, The summer months and this time of year during the winter holidays. That's usually when the biggest movies are released and that seems to be when the majority of people go to the theaters. In fact, some of you may already have made your plans to uh, go watch a movie or movies over the next few days. That just may be part of your holiday family tradition. So I want you to imagine something with me for a moment. I want you to imagine that you have gone Uh, to the movies, you've gone, you've taken your seat 
in the theater, you, you've got your popcorn, you're, you're seated, you're ready, uh, the lights have just dimmed, the movie begins, and you are getting into the movie. I mean, you, you are enthralled. You, you have uh, actually stopped eating your popcorn, you are beginning to lean forward a little bit on the edge of your seat, and, and you can't wait to see how this story plays out. It, it has grabbed your attention. You are all in. And just at that moment, just when the story's beginning to unfold, and you are all into it and can't wait to see what happens, it stops. Just stops. The lights come up and you're dismissed from the theater. Now, if that happened, how would you feel? You'd feel cheated, right? You'd feel frustrated. You didn't get to see how it all played out. You didn't get to make sense of everything that uh, was happening in the movie. You didn't get to finish the story. You, you saw how the story began, but you didn't see how the story played out. Friends, can I suggest that sadly that's how many of us celebrate Christmas? We begin the story, but we never let it play out. We get caught up in the wonder of Christ's birth, and for good reason. We should get caught up in it. We ought to get caught up in the wonder of the virgin birth, and we ought to get caught up in the, the, the uh, modesty of the, the manger and the angels visiting the shepherds. We ought to get caught up in all of that, but if we're not careful, we can never move beyond that. We can forget to let the story move on from there. We can forget that there's more to the story than just that. That's merely the beginning of the story. In other words, to celebrate Christmas rightly, we have to let the story play out. We have to recognize that the babe of Bethlehem is also the Christ of Calvary. We have to recognize that this child who is king is also the king who was crucified. That the rundown stable leads right to the old rugged cross. That this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger will 30-something years later be stripped naked, beaten to a bloody pulp, and that same body will hang lifeless on a cross, only to be raised from the dead three days later. You see, Christmas and Good Friday and Easter Sunday are all part of the same story. They all go together, and we have to make sure that we let the story play out, which means there is an intimate connection between the incarnation and our salvation. You see, if there's no incarnation, then there's no salvation. If there's no virgin birth, then there's no second birth for us. If he's not born, we're not born again. If there's no incarnation, there's no salvation. You see, the incarnation of Jesus Christ and the salvation of sinners are intimately connected. And that's why I think this text from Galatians chapter 4 is such an appropriate text for us to look at at this season of the year. Because this text 
keeps the incarnation and salvation together. It lets the story play out. It celebrates the incarnation, but it does so in such a way that it connects it to our salvation. It reminds us that our salvation and Christ's incarnation are intimately connected. So on this Sunday before Christmas, I want us to think together from this text about the incarnation of Christ. And I want us to think about two aspects of the incarnation. I want us to think about the mystery of the incarnation and the purpose of the incarnation. The mystery of the incarnation and the purpose of the incarnation. I want us to think first about the mystery of the incarnation. Listen again to how this text begins there in verse four. But when the fullness of time had come, now uh, understand, we won't take the time to unpack all that uh, Paul is getting at there when he uses that phrase, the fullness of time, but uh, he, he is uh, carrying on in many ways an analogy that he began back in chapter three and here the first part of chapter four uh, where he's contrasting our life sort of under the law before Christ came and now it's the time that God had appointed, the time that we've been waiting on when Christ would come to free us from our captivity to the law. It's the perfect time of God, the ordained, predetermined time that God had set forth. It's the perfect time. In other words, when Christ comes, it's not merely an accident of history. It is intentionally designed by God Almighty. So when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman. Now, when I say the mystery of the incarnation, what I mean by that is the mystery of the fact that Jesus is, on the one hand, the eternal, pre-existent son of God sent forth from heaven, and he is born of a woman. He is divine and human, God in the flesh. That's the mystery that we're talking about when we talk about the incarnation. That's the mystery that Paul is getting at here. It is a mystery that is essential to the Christian faith. This is not some peripheral issue. This is not some finer point of theology that we can debate. No, this is something that is central to the Christian faith. If you lose this mystery, if you lose this truth, you lose the gospel. You lose the Christian faith. So if you don't believe and embrace this mystery, you're not believing and embracing what Christianity teaches. We have to understand this mystery that Paul is getting at here. God sent forth his son. Stop. Think about what Paul is communicating here. Jesus is eternal. He is divine. He is the son who has been sent 
forth from heaven, meaning he didn't begin to be the son of God when he was born in Bethlehem. He didn't begin to be the son of God at his baptism. He didn't begin to be the son of God at his resurrection. He didn't begin to be the son of God when he ascended back to heaven. He always has been and he always will be the son of God. And this eternal son of God, second person of the Godhead, now is sent forth, not just from Galilee to Jerusalem, not even just from the manger to the cross. He is sent from heaven to earth. The Son of God, born of woman. That's how he comes, born of woman. Now, Paul has just highlighted the eternal deity of Jesus Christ, And in the very same breath, now he affirms the true humanity of Jesus Christ. He says he is born of a woman, a phrase used throughout the scriptures to refer to simply being a human being, just like us. All of us were born of woman. And just like us, Jesus is born of woman. Meaning, the one who is eternal and divine, who has always existed from eternity past, who has existed outside of time, now steps into time. The immortal one takes on mortal flesh. The God who has been invisible now takes on flesh for people to see And he becomes a fetus in a virgin's womb. And he's born the way all of us were born. He who is divine becomes human. And he's born of woman like every human being. He didn't stop being God, but now he becomes at the same time a human being. He becomes the God-man. And that means that when people looked on Jesus, they didn't just see another, another Middle Eastern man, they saw the glory of God veiled in human flesh. When people heard Jesus speak, they didn't just hear another Nazarene, they heard God with a Galilean accent. That's what we mean when we talk about this mystery. And then notice, not only was God's son sent forth, born of a woman. He was born under the law, verse 4 says. Which reminds us that not only was Jesus a man, he was a, a Jewish man, circumcised on the eighth day like all Jewish males were. He grew up in a Jewish family and in a Jewish home, and he was raised on the Hebrew Scriptures, reading the Torah and going to the synagogue. And he kept all the precepts, and demands of the law. He was the true righteous son of God that Israel was supposed to be but wasn't. And so he, where they failed to keep the law, he perfectly keeps the law. And so he is the son of God sent forth from heaven and yet he's born of a woman and born under the law. That is the mystery of the incarnation. That 
God has come to us, and in coming to us, he has taken on our humanity without losing his deity. He is God in the flesh. He is the word tabernacling among us, John would say in John 1.14. J.I. Packer, the late great Anglican theologian, once said of the incarnation, the more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. The more you spend time thinking about this truth that Jesus is truly God and truly man, that the more staggering it gets. He goes on to say, nothing in all of fiction so you, you think about things, stories that are made up. You, you think about all these stories in fiction. He said, nothing in all of fiction is so fantastic as the truth of the incarnation. So brothers and sisters, today and over the next few days, spend some time thinking about this mystery and just let it keep getting more and more staggering. Just be in awe of this mystery that God has sent forth his son and he has been born of a woman, that he's come to us in the flesh, truly God, truly man. Embrace this mystery, hold on to this mystery because without it, you and I have no hope. We have no hope. As we're going to see in a moment, if the incarnation doesn't happen, then salvation doesn't come to us. So hold on to this mystery. Recognize the necessity of it. And then realize why it matters. So that's the second aspect of the incarnation I want us to see. The purpose of the incarnation. The purpose of the incarnation. Why does God send forth his son in this way? Why does God send forth his son to be born of a woman, to be born under the law? Why the God-man? Why is his coming so important? What is the purpose of the incarnation? Well, in one word, salvation. Salvation. The purpose of the incarnation is to save sinners and to make them sons and daughters of God. Look at verses four and five together. Let the story play out. Let the story keep going. That's what verses four and five help us to see. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, if you stop the story at the manger, you miss the full message. You miss the rest of the story. Because listen, verse four is incredible news. No doubt about it. But it's not until you get to verse five that you realize that it is actually good news for sinners like us. 
That this incredible news is actually good news because the Son of God was sent from heaven to earth at just the right time and he took on flesh and he was born of a woman and born under the law so that he might grow up as a faithful Israelite, perfectly obeying the commands of the law. Why? Verse five, to redeem those who were under the law. To redeem us. The incarnation is for us and our salvation. This is why even when Jesus' birth is being announced by the angel to Joseph, you remember the angel pointed forward to this truth, to this reality. When he told Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, which means Savior. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. So why did God send forth his son? Why did Jesus leave heaven and come to earth? Why was he born of a woman and born under the law? To save sinners. We can't lose sight of that. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, there are two aspects of our salvation that Paul highlights here in verse five. Redemption and adoption. Redemption and adoption. Look at it again, verse five. Why? Why did he come? To redeem those who were under the law, that's redemption, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So first, he redeems us, meaning he buys us back from our slavery to sin. Redemption was an economic term uh, in the ancient world. It was a term that uh, referred to what would happen when someone would purchase someone from slavery and redeem them, free them from their captivity, free them from their slavery. Now, Just as Jesus was born under the law, what Paul is trying to help us see here in Galatians 4 is that we too, in a sense, were born under the law. But whereas Jesus perfectly kept the law, we consistently break the law. One of the reasons God gave us the law is to show us that we break it and that we need someone to save us, that we are guilty before God because we keep breaking his law. And therefore, because we break the law, we are under the penalty of the law. We have to bear the punishment of the law. We we are subject to the curse of the law. But thanks be to God, he has sent his son to be born under the law. And the way Jesus redeems us from the law is not only by perfectly obeying the law in our place, but also by bearing the punishment of the law that we stand under. He actually takes on the curse of the law. Paul explains this back in chapter 3. Look look back at what Paul writes in chapter 3, verse 10. He says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That's the bad news. The bad news is we are under a curse because we have not been able to do everything that is written in the book of the law. We've not been able to keep the law. And therefore, because we haven't, we stand under the curse of the law. The good news comes in verses 13 and 14, 
where Paul writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So he who was born under the law for us is also he who has borne the curse of the law for us. And by bearing its curse, he has paid its penalty. He has suffered its consequences. And the law no longer condemns us because its condemnation has already been poured out on Jesus Christ in our place. And therefore now, through Christ, we have been redeemed. We have been purchased. We have been bought. We've been rescued. We've been set free from our bondage and slavery under the law. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Paul writes in Romans 8.1. That's why we sing peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. That's why Christmas matters. That's why the incarnation matters. Rebels have a redeemer. Sinners have a savior. That's why the angels who visited the shepherds said to them in Luke chapter two, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, not just a child, but a savior who is Christ the Lord. So friends, if if you're not celebrating your redemption at Christmas, you're not doing something right. If, If you're not letting the story play out, then you're missing so much of the story because God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us who were held captive under the law. That's why he came. That's the purpose of the incarnation. He was sent on a mission to rescue us and redeem us and praise his name. He has carried out that mission. So let the story play out. See that the prophesied king has grown up to become the crucified king and the risen king and the ascended king and the reigning king and the one day returning king. Friends, the reason Jesus came was to redeem us. But look, that's not all. Not only did he come to redeem us, as great as that is, he's done more. Look at the end of verse five so that we might receive adoption as sons. He redeemed us so that he might adopt us, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters of God. So not only has he set us free from our slavery, he has made us sons and daughters of God. He he rescues us and then he welcomes us into his family. We think about how remarkable that is. We were prodigals, we were rebels, we were sinners, we were strangers and aliens. We were cut off from God. In fact, the scriptures say we were hostile to God. We hated God. We were by nature children of wrath. But now, now that we have been redeemed by Christ, purchased by his blood, Now we who were once strangers and aliens, we who were once children of wrath are now made children of God. 
Now we have a place at his table. That's why we get to feast on his body and his blood because now we're part of the family. Now he welcomes us to the feast and we get to gather with him. He has brought us into the family of God. We who once were slaves are now sons and daughters of the king. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, the son of God became man so that men might become sons of God. That's why the incarnation matters. Listen, of all the benefits and privileges of our salvation, and they are many, but of all the benefits, of all the privileges, adoption is the highest. Adoption is the greatest. Why? Because adoption reminds us that we haven't just had our sins forgiven, though that is true. And we haven't just had our guilt atoned for, although that is true. And we haven't just had our debt paid, although that is true. And we haven't just been redeemed, as wonderful as that is. But God has actually done more. This text reminds us that he has adopted us. And adoption reminds us that there's more to our salvation than just having our sins forgiven or just having been redeemed. Because God could have, he could have saved us without making us sons. He could have delivered you without making you a daughter. He could have acquitted you without adopting you. But he didn't. Not only has he redeemed us, he has also adopted us. And adoption reminds us of the depths, the depths of God's love and care and concern for sinners like us. It's not just that we've been made right with God the judge. It is that we ourselves have been given the glorious privilege of being made children of God. God sent forth his only son, his eternal son, so that you and I might be adopted as his sons and daughters, so that now God the Father can look on us, can look on you, and can look on me the same way that he looks on Jesus. See, now he looks on you the way he has always looked on Jesus. So when God looks on you, now he says of you what he's always said of Jesus, this is my beloved child with whom I'm well pleased. What a thought. What an amazing thought. That's why Jesus came. That's why the incarnation matters. And that's why Paul can write what he writes in verses six and seven. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying. Now we get to cry of God the Father what before only Jesus could cry. Now we get to cry, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You are an heir of all the privileges and all the promises that belong to Christ, but now in Christ, they belong to you as well. I mean, you want something to marvel over today and the next few days as you think about this 
wonderful reality. Think about the truth that we read in Hebrews chapter 2 where it tells us that Jesus Christ is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. I know me. I'd be ashamed to call me a brother. And Jesus is not ashamed to, if you belong to him, he is not ashamed to call you his brother or his sister because you have been brought into his family and now you are an heir of everything that is his because all that is his is now yours because of Christ. But remember, none of that is possible without the incarnation. Without verse four, there is no verse five and there is no verse six, there is no verse seven, there is no Hebrews two. If there is no incarnation, there is no salvation. If the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't become the God-man, then there is no reconciliation between God and man. So we must keep the incarnation and salvation together. We must keep them together. We must celebrate Christmas in such a way that we let the story play out, that we remember not only that God the Son came, but why he came to redeem us and to make us sons and daughters of God the Father. So this morning, if if you know all about Christmas, but you don't really know the rest of the story, or if you think you know about Christ, but you've not really understood the mystery of who he is as the God-man, the incarnate God with us, If this morning you you know all about the baby in the manger, but you never let the story play out to recognize that that same baby grew up. I used to have a professor who always said, everybody loves baby Jesus. Baby Jesus isn't very, uh, nothing except just to, to sort of ooh and ah over. But we forget that Jesus grew up, became a man who then suffered and bled and died for you and for your sins, to rescue you, to redeem you, to save you, and to make you a son or daughter of the king. So friend, this Christmas, let the story play out. Don't just think about the fact that he came. Think about why he came. And this morning, put your trust in him. Recognize he is the reigning king. Submit to him. Bow before him. And put your faith in him as the son of God. Born for you. Died for you. Raised to life for you and now reigning for you. Trust in him. And if you already know the Lord Jesus Christ, then make sure you understand the purpose of the incarnation, why Christ came. Keep the incarnation and salvation together. Today and over the next few days and through next Sunday, make sure you let the story play out. Recognize how appropriate it was for us on this Sunday to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, to think about his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. Think about how appropriate it was for us not just to sing about the manger and the baby and the hay, but to sing about nails, spear, and the cross.
It's all part of the same story. So celebrate that story. Celebrate Christ incarnate for you and for your salvation. Let's pray together. Oh God, we give you thanks for your word this morning. We thank you for this text in particular that reminds us of the connection between the incarnation of your son and our salvation. So God, may we keep that story together in our own hearts and minds today and in the days ahead. May we let the story play out and may we rejoice in the truth of this story. May we believe it. May we sing of it and celebrate it. And may we rejoice in your grace that is greater than all our sin. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.